evening and welcome to another episode of Audie's Oddities. As always, my name is Audie and I'm going to be your host. I'm going to be telling you about the spooky shit happening in our world. All right, we're going to start with some real life shit here. So if you don't like some real life shit, just skip a couple minutes, okay? But first off, we're going to just talk about my hair because I'm obsessed with it. Guys, it's spooky season. If you're listening to this at any other time of the year, I want you to know it's officially spooky season. In my heart, spooky season starts August 1st. For most people, it starts October 1st. And to that I say, if you get to have Christmas in September, then I can start Halloween in August and nobody can say otherwise. Also, my birthday's in August, so I think I owe it to myself to allow my favorite holiday to just be happening around my birthday. With that being said, if you don't know me in real life, maybe you follow me on social media other than this podcast. If you do, then you'll know that one of my favorite hairstyles to wear is space buns. Like, on top of my head, the big little buns. Big little, yeah, that's two words that can happen at the same time. Anyway, I got the most adorable little hair bows to put into my buns. I'm gonna post a picture of it on Instagram if you want to see them. They have little pumpkins on them. They're from Party City, they're adorable, and I'm obsessed with them, and I need you to know about it. Also, another fun little life thing, because you know what? You're on episode five now. We're becoming best friends. So I wanted to tell you about the extra things that happen in my life, not just what I do on this podcast. And the extra things going on in my life right now are, I am currently in a musical. Surprise, bitch. I'm a theater guru. That's right. I love theater. I've loved it since I was a kid. I've done theater since I was very, very small. And this is my first time being in a theater production in about five years. Don't get me wrong. I've done dance productions in the past couple years, but this is my first full-blown musical. And what better show to be in than Sweeney freaking Todd, one of my all-time favorite musicals. I am so so excited to be a part of this show. So if you hear me referencing that a lot or talking about it a lot, it's just because it's been on my mind, okay? But enough with my little life update. We can get more to that in the next episode. Let's talk about this shit. What are we talking about? You might ask. Wow, I haven't even told you yet. So sorry. What we are talking about today is the Gardner Museum art theft or heist. If you don't know this case, then I'm about to blow your mind. I need you to just sit down with a snack, maybe a coffee, maybe an alcoholic beverage if you need it, and let's get going. All right, let's start off by telling you a little bit about this museum. So this museum was started by a woman named Isabel Stort Gardner, and this museum holds her own private collection of art. Now, this isn't just a couple drawings that maybe she did herself. No, you guys, this museum holds over 15,000 pieces of art and billions of dollars worth of artwork is in this building. And this heist is actually so well known that the museum has the story of the heist and all the paintings and whatnot on their website to be publicly viewed. So they're definitely not trying to hide it from anybody. There were 13 pieces of art in total stolen, and they are currently still offering over a $10 million reward for even one of the pieces of art being returned. So, you know, if you have a lot of free time and you really need some money, maybe go and find a piece of art. All right, I'm just ready to get into the story. So on March 18th, 1990 is when this heist happened. As I said before, over 13 pieces of art were taken and that accumulated to almost half a billion. That's right, I said a B, bitch, a billion dollars. So the night that this heist happened, we actually had two rookie guards on shift that night. The one that we know by name and are going to be talking about mostly, his name is Richard Abba. What we know about this security guard is that he was a music school dropout who decided to do drumming on the side and avidly tells us how drunk and stoned he was pretty much 24-7. 
He also doesn't hesitate to tell us that working at the museums was one of the most boring jobs he's ever had. But even after telling us that he is stoned and drunk 99% of the time, he is very, very adamant about the fact that he was sober the night of this heist. Now, do I really believe him? We'll see at the end of this episode. So let's talk a little bit about the security in the museum, just so that you get a better idea and layout, because this is a really big place. So the security office that Richard was hanging out in is in the basement of the museum, where he has to buzz in anybody who comes into the building. There's four cameras on the outside of the museum, but none on the inside, it seems like. But on the inside, they do have motion detectors. Now, this is very important. These motion detectors send a signal to the security guard booth for the security guard to call the police. They do not directly call the police themselves. And the same thing goes for the alarms that are on the paintings. And these alarms were very well known because one specific painting had the artist painted into it. So people would get a little bit too close and try and point out the artist and the alarm would go off because it seems like somebody's touching the painting. But like I said, the alarm doesn't actually call the police. It just calls the security booth. And literally on the website, they have the receipt, like a picture of the receipt of all the different stamps of the alarms going off. But why was nobody in the security booth to call? Let's get into that. So it was about 1.24 in the morning when two police officers showed up at the door of the museum. Now the police officers claim that they're coming to the museum because they got a disturbance call. Keep in mind, it was the weekend of St. Patrick's Day, so there was a lot of parties going on. So it did seem like a normal thing. But in the rules for the museum, it specifically tells the security guards to not buzz in anybody, including the police. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that the police aren't allowed inside. It just means that the security guard is supposed to go outside to speak with them rather than just letting them in the museum immediately. So Richard tells us that he wants to avoid any trouble with the police solely because the next day he has tickets to a Grateful Dead concert. That's not even a joke. I couldn't write that joke in. That is a serious situation. And like, I just keep questioning, was this guy this blunt in the job interview? Like, did he come in and sit down in some kind of dirty grunge t-shirt and was just like, I really love sex, drugs, and rock and roll, man. And the manager was like, perfect, you're great. So he ends up going and allowing the police in and once they come down to the basement where he is and see him face to face through the glass of the security booth, one of the police officers says, you know, I think you look really familiar and you probably have a warrant, so come on out here and show me your ID. This is when Richard claims that he was tricked. I'm putting some air quotes around it. You'll see why later. He says that he was tricked out of his control booth, like the security office booth, and then police grabbed him. They say that he pushed him up against a wall and handcuffed him, but they didn't frisk him. So that's when he started getting the idea that maybe this isn't police. So at this point, it's closer to, I think, 2 a.m. And the second guard shows up. Obviously, they grab him as well and put him with Richard. But can you just imagine? I want you to imagine, okay, it's 2 a.m. You're coming into work, coming into your shift. Probably got your little iced coffee or whatnot. You're running late. You're like, oh, shit. Got your little bags. I know when I go into work, I have like at least two bags. I look like a fucking pack mule. Imagine walking in and immediately getting tossed in with your buddy. And you're just like, what the fuck? And your buddy's like, oh, my God. Did you bring me coffee, too? Oh, my God, you should shouldn't have. So the second guard is immediately like, yo dude, why are, why am I being arrested? Like what's wrong? I just came into work. And one of the police officers finally speaks up and says, you're not being arrested. This is a robbery. Don't give us any problems and you won't get hurt. And Richard immediately, not even a millisecond afterwards, he was planning this in his head. He said, don't worry, they don't pay me enough. 
same dude so their heads hands and feet are wrapped up in duct tape and they're just left in the basement outside of the security booth and literally on the gardner museum website there is a photo of richard and his head is like bound in duct tape how is that allowed i mean i'm sure he consented that but how is that allowed so the robbers start off by going to the second floor of the museum and immediately they split up and the alarm starts going off now keep in mind it's supposed to notify the guards so that they call 911. They're duct taped up in the other room. That's not happening. Because the button they need to call the police is in the security booth. They're very far away from that at this point. So the guards find the source of the alarm and end up smashing it. And at about 2.28 a.m., they return to the guards in the basement just to check on them and check in the security room again. So the first thing that I'm noticing is that these guys are here for a very long time. It's already been over an hour. And they clearly know that the police aren't coming even though all these alarms are going off. So after only 13 minutes of actually taking pieces of art, they end up leaving with 13 pieces in total. So they end up taking 11 paintings and two... I don't want to say sculptures, but that's kind of what they are. They were like metal pieces. One was this eagle, which was very specific and we will get into later. And one was some kind of Chinese dish. We also learned that they just put all these paintings in their hatchback. And I know it's not supposed to be funny, but mentally I'm like, this is like one of their mom's hatchbacks. Like they didn't have a car big enough and they're calling her up like, hey mom, um, I got this thing I got to do and like, I really need that hatchback. Can I borrow it? So the most valuable items that they end up taking are three Rembrandt paintings. If you know anything about artists, then you'll understand the people I'm talking about. If you don't know anything, just know that they're very expensive paintings. They ended up trying to take a fourth Rembrandt, but it was too hard to remove, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me because they weren't taking the paintings off the walls with the frames. They were cutting the paintings out. So I don't know if there was glass in front of it or what, but it was apparently too difficult. And we're learning that they went for very specific pieces of art because they're passing by millions of dollars worth of paintings like they're nothing to go for very specific ones on specific floors and places in the museum. Specifically, the things that stood out to me was five out of 11 of the paintings were all from one artist. They were all from an artist called Edgar Degas. If I said that wrong, I'm so sorry. But I just thought that was kind of weird that so many of those pieces were from one guy. And remember that eagle I was talking about? Yeah, that was a very specific and hard to get thing. They took multiple minutes to get up high where this eagle thing was. You can look up a picture of it on the museum website. It was like on top of this other picture, maybe on top of a flagpole or something. It was up pretty high is what I'm saying. It wasn't just an easy grab and go kind of thing. And they just leave in their little mom's hatchback. They're just gone at probably 35 miles an hour. But it wouldn't be until about four hours after they left that the next shift of security guards show up and when they're not immediately buzzed into the museum, they call the police because we have some smart people here. But also, once again, just imagine showing up for work and finding out your coworkers are duct taped in the fucking basement. I mean, I just imagine Jerry sitting in the corner and he's just like, damn, I'm so happy I didn't pick up that shift. So at 8.30 in the morning, police finally get there and let the guards out of the basement. The thieves wore gloves, so there weren't fingerprints anywhere. But I ended like looking through more of the police files and whatnot. They talked about fingerprinting certain things. So I'm like, was there fingerprints or was there not? I need a clear picture. And unfortunately, if that bothers you, it's going to be a very consistent theme throughout this story. 
So the one thing that these two heist guys really did fuck up about was that they didn't wear anything over their face. So Richard and his co-workers saw these police officers, well, fake police officers, face to face and don't remember what they look like. When Richard went in to give a police sketch, they're just awful. I mean, these look like actual little cartoon sketches. It looks like when you go to like a community theater and they just give that like 18 year old kid a mustache to make him look older. That's what these look like. And in 2005, Richard even came out and said that the sketches were horrible and at most they just looked like characters off of Hogan's Heroes and that's all he could remember. And if you need to Google that, aka it's basically what every white man looks like. So in April 1994, the museum receives a letter after this case went cold for many, many years. They get an anonymous letter from a man claiming that he knows where the art is, but in order to return it, the museum better act quick and give him $2.6 million, and then he'll give it back. And the fucking museum agrees. They're like, yeah, sure, take this 2.6 mil that I don't care about, just give me back my artwork. And I mean, listen, I get it, especially considering now we have a $10 million reward for it, but like, holy shit, that's a lot of money. So then a second letter comes I don't know how long later. I couldn't figure out if it was like within the week or if it was like a year. I don't know. But I assume it was pretty quick because he says in the letter that actually, you know what? Police have kind of scared me. So I'm gonna back out of this. Never mind. And he claims, and I quote, that he doesn't want the middleman arrested, which leads me to believe who's ever writing this letter is a middleman. So then in all caps, he has, you cannot have both. Gave a couple random clues and then fell off the face of the earth and we never hear from him again. I'm like, damn, did you like wait five years after stealing all this artwork and then just decide like, maybe I should give him a little something. And then they got too close and you were like, oh, maybe I gave him a little too much. All right, so let's just talk about some theories surrounding this because there are probably 400 I could go into, but let's talk about the major ones. So the first suspect that I really came across was Brian McDevitt. He had committed a similar theft nearby Well, at least he planned to. So this man attacks a FedEx truck driver, okay? Ties him up with duct tape in the back of the FedEx truck. Steals his uniform and then plans to drive to this museum, cut out the paintings to steal them, and then go. Only problem is, is that he didn't plan for like rush hour traffic. So he got stuck in traffic and arrived at the museum after it had already closed. Can you imagine pulling up to the museum and you're like, Oh, damn it. Damn it. I got this whole guy in the back here. What am I going to do with him? So he was questioned by the FBI and actually in front of a jury about whether or not he knew anything about the Gardner case. And both times he adamantly said no. And I guess they were okay with that. So that moves us on to theory number two, which is the most common theory that I absolutely believe. It was an inside job. Yeah, that's right. We're looking at you, Richard. We're looking at you, Mr. Grateful Dead concert. Also, in case I didn't say it before, yes, this man looks exactly how you think he looks. What you're thinking right now? Exactly. So one of the leading reasons that people think this was an inside job is solely because how would these criminals know all of the in and outs of the museum? They were there for a super long time. They knew that the security booth was in the basement. They knew that the alarms wouldn't call the police. They knew that the security guards would have to call the police to to get them out of the security booth. It just seems a little too coincidental for me. And keep in mind, Richard doesn't remember what the men look like, apparently. Also, all the motion sensors were on and supposed to be recording them, 
but for whatever reason, the ones on the first floor, not working. At least when the heist was going on, because only an hour or two before the heist, they were working because they picked up Richard walking into that room. But they claim that this room, apparently there's a painting missing from there, and whenever they're looking at all of the other stuff on where the criminals went, they claim that Richard was the only person that could have gone in that room. Now, I don't fully understand how or why that makes sense, because they claim that the first floor didn't have motion sensors. Maybe I got some stuff mixed up. Maybe this room is somewhere on the second or third floor or something like that. It was just weird. So then the police asked, like, hey, Richard, why did you let the police in if you knew it was against the rules? And he's like, oh, I, j I didn't know it was a rule. But also, if I did, I would definitely break it because I don't like rules. What? What is this man's personality? It's like he just looked at a skateboarder and a rock and roller and a 16-year-old kid and he decided that that was going to be the essence of his personality for the rest of his life. He's also suspicious because only a few months earlier, he had let some friends into the museum on New Year's Eve, which he wasn't allowed to do, just to hang out with them. We also know that he had let somebody into the museum the night before the heist, someone unknown that the FBI apparently still doesn't know, or at least won't tell us who it is, but we know that they let him in through a side door and just kind of scanned the area and then left. So maybe they were scanning the area for a dry run. Because Richard also claims that he does not remember that person and does not remember letting them in. Now this leads us to our third theory. This was just one that I found and I thought was interesting. So there's this guy named Arthur Brand and he's apparently an expert in art crimes. Yes, that's right. He is an expert at stealing art and pawning it off to other people. Like this man really just took the word expert and said, I can attach that to anything. So he claims that in 1991, a year after this heist, that he gets photos of some of the stolen artwork somewhere in this, like, storage container. But it wouldn't be until 2010, almost 20 years later, that he hears that a member of the Irish Public Army has the paintings. Apparently, this guy worked on this case with the FBI for over 12 years. And he believes that this was like a super small-time criminal robbery who just sold the paintings off to much higher bidders. Arthur also claims that he can get the paintings back quickly, but never does. Another thing pointing to possibly the police being in on this is that Whitney Burglar, who was like a crime lord, I hate that term, but like a crime lord of the time, he was brought in when all this was going on because he had done some similar art heists in that past decade. And he told them, like, don't worry, I had nothing to do with this. If I did, I would definitely want to claim it to have that clout. But I will tell you that I'm pretty sure that it was someone on the inside because those police uniforms were real. So they would have had to know real police officers in order to get them. All right, now I'm going to tell you about the stuff that's a lot more modern and the stuff from the FBI that they're putting out in the past couple years that I think is true. So pretty much the FBI has confirmed, like, we know who did it. But we don't know where the art is, and that's all we care about. This guy who works for the FBI is doing a news interview when he claims that the FBI in the past year have seen some of the paintings, and now they have three suspects, but two of them have already passed away. And don't worry, we're going to talk about all three of them. The first suspect would be Carmelo Maleno. Now, this was another term I hate, crime lord of the time. So he was arrested in 1992 on drug trafficking charges for distributing copious amounts of cocaine and ends up offering up one of the missing paintings to get a lighter sentence. 
and it fucking works. Listen, I understand that we have to use leverage and stuff in our legal systems in order to get things like this out, but holy shit! And unfortunately, a few years ago, he passed away in prison from natural causes, and he had claimed to the police that he was going to give them all these paintings, but never had the chance to. Or just never wanted to. This is when we hear the name Robert Gentile for the first time. He's going to come up a lot. Just remember his name for a second, okay? Because we're going to jump over and meet a friend named James Marks. Well, his friend, not my friend. I do not want to be friends with this person. So in 1991, only a year after the heist, James was murdered. But before he was murdered, he had bragged to multiple people that he had some of the paintings on the third floor of his penthouse. Now, police did investigate this and they didn't find any paintings in his home, but still. At a later time, he told somebody that he didn't have the art, but he had access to the art. Now, he was killed by a guy named Robert Geraldine. Now, this is not the same Robert Gentile. Two different Roberts here, okay? But the reason that I told you about Robert Gentile is because he happened to be in the area during the time of James's murder. So police are thinking that maybe the two Roberts got together and got rid of James. And keep in mind, Robert Gentile was interviewed back in 1990 when this first happened. So he's been a suspect for a long time. Now, it wouldn't be until 2021 that Robert Geraldine's wife would actually come forward and claim that she saw her husband give paintings from the heist to other Roberts. Of course, police follow up on this. They don't find any paintings in his home. And he claims in an interview that this woman is absolutely nuts and bipolar. And that's the whole reason that she said these things. So Robert Gentile is currently still alive and he's in prison on another charge. But when they search his house, they find fake police uniforms, walkie talkies, all these things that would have been used in a heist. So you might be wondering, all right, well, this guy's in prison and the other two are dead. So what's keeping us from closing this case? The paintings. Because FBI has come out and said, we're pretty sure we know that these three guys did it. But two of them are dead, and those were like the two main dudes that we think did it. They think that Gentile was just just an extra accessory, you know, the, th- the freeloader, if you will. So they think that because the two guys that actually did it have already passed, they don't really care about that anymore. They just want the paintings back. So the interviewer is like, well, if you don't care and they're both dead, why don't you say their names out loud? Like, why does it matter? And he goes on this long speech to say that it's for the safety and so that way they don't get all these calls and tips coming in. He kind of gave a reason that didn't make a lot of sense. And then the biggest question comes up, why the hell was Richard the security guard never arrested after he claims that he went through this experience and never remembered any of it? And the FBI just said that they will not comment on if he is a suspect involved in the group of three or not. And I think one of the main reasons that they're not commenting about that is because Richard is still alive and did an interview not even two years ago about this. Where he still keeps his same story of not knowing what they look like, the police sketches being bad, being taped up in the basement, the whole nine yards. You know, he might be innocent, he might not, but I will say, if I've been telling a story for over 30 years, I think I'd get it down pretty well. So something else that came out is a couple years ago, the security footage from the day before the heist was released. And it's some grainy footage because it's from the 90s, but you see someone come in the side door and they're let in by Richard. Now, as I said, you can't make out who this person is, 
but I would just like to add that it looks a lot like one of the suspects we've already talked about. This unknown figure drives up a car that looks very similar to the hatchback used in the heist, you know, the mommy hatchback. And all they do together is kind of walk around the museum, almost as if to scan out and do a dry run of what all they wanted. And that's all we know about that. So to this day, we are still missing all 13 pieces of art that were stolen from the Gardner Museum. And if you find even one of them, you could be rewarded almost $10 million. Honestly, if I were to just come up with my own theories as to what this was, then I think it would be a couple of crime lords probably, or people with a lot of money who wanted a personal collection of very specific pieces and hired some specific guys to do it. You know, maybe they saw Richard there, saw he was kind of like a metalhead who didn't give a shit and thought it'd be a great idea and hatched a plan. And to this day, the empty frames of the paintings still hang in the art museum. As a reminder to everybody that the paintings have never been found. But who knows, maybe we'll never find these pieces of art. Maybe a hundred years from now we'll find them. Maybe they've been destroyed. Who knows? I don't. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed hanging out with me, make sure that you subscribe, follow, hit that notification bell so that you're told whenever I post a new episode every Monday and Thursday. And I just want to add that I am extra excited for this Monday's episode, not only because it comes out on my fucking birthday, but because it comes out on my birthday, I'm doing a special one, you guys. As always, my name is Audie, and this has been Audie's Oddities. Oddies.